Hi, I'm Allison Bukowski, and this is The Customer X-Files. I'm delighted to bring my years of marketing experience to the amazing community that supported me throughout my career. My passion has always been elevating the customer to the focal point of all marketing initiatives, and I'm proud to now lead a marketing organization with a truly customer-led approach. Each episode, I'm joined by an incredible thought leader within the marketing industry, generous enough to share their insights, knowledge, and experience with all of us. Brought to you by the PeerSpot Network, nothing is off limits. And just as our industry continues to evolve, so will this podcast. We will feature guests in live Q&A sessions, panel discussions, and more. So let's get started. Hello and welcome, everyone. So one of my favorite parts of leading marketing with an entirely customer-led approach is the obvious. It's the customers. It's getting to know customers as people and as professionals, getting to work alongside them to solve challenges and form the strong relationships that I know everybody listening can relate to. So today, my guest, Natalie, who I've only known for a short time, but honestly, in that time, she has really inspired me both from a marketing perspective, but then also as as a human being, we've connected over a few things that have really meant a lot to me. But professionally speaking, I am very, very pleased to welcome Natalie Aneo to the show today. Natalie manages customer advocacy worldwide for Microsoft Security. She also works very closely with her product marketing managers for her book of business of Microsoft Security Solutions. And professionally speaking, Natalie is one of the most thoughtful and really forward-thinking and business-savvy advocacy professionals that that I've met in my, you know, 15 years of being exposed to customer advocacy. And personally, as I mentioned, she and I have connected. Natalie is a certified health coach and the owner of Living La Vida Recharged, which is super cool. So if you ever reach out or connect, ask her about that. And she's also an avid traveler. And she spends a lot of her free time learning to speak Mandarin, which Natalie, you might have to talk a little bit about that because my daughter wants to do it and it, and it scares me. So maybe you can inspire. It just seems like it's something difficult, but welcome, Natalie. I'm so thrilled to have you here today. Um, really excited to have this conversation. Thanks so much, Allison. Uh, thank, thanks for having me on the show and, uh, and thank you for all your kind words. It's way too nice. No, no, those are well-earned. I do not, uh, I'm not one to offer those up as empty words. Um, It's just been a thrill to get to know you. And I'd love for the audience to get to know you a little bit because we all know people before professionals. So you could, you could speak to anything, but I know you're, you love traveling like I do. So what's your favorite destination that you have traveled to? And then there's got to be one on your bucket list yet. Sure. So my favorite destination I've been to is Tibet. Um, I have a very wild story about this that I could tell you another time, but I was in Tibet when the pandemic hit China. So I actually did get physically kicked out of Tibet when the Chinese government shut down Tibet to foreigners. So it was a challenging experience there, but um, I took a 24-hour train into Tibet and it was the, the most gorgeous place I've ever been. Absolutely beautiful, drop-dead, gorgeous scenery uh, with so much Buddhism and spirituality there and incredibly kind people. 
So all that mixed together made Tibet the most moving place that I've ever been. Uh, and then for places on my bucket list, it, my number one on my bucket list, but honestly, there's so many I could choose from, but number one, I have to say Cuba. So my last name is Cuban. My, my dad is originally from Cuba and uh, a lot of my family is still in Cuba or has come to Miami from Cuba. And I've gotten to know them in Miami. I've, I've never gotten to go over to Cuba because it's, you know, it's, it's been a challenging place for Americans to go to. And there's so much history for my family there. I've been dying to go and really get that experience of, of my heritage firsthand. So I'm working right now on trying to get my family together to finally make the trip. That's amazing. So you would go with, with family and you could make it, you know, a family affair, really. Exactly. And my, it's very important to my dad that we all go together as a family and we still have, we still have a family home there. We have aunts, uncles, cousins over there. So it would be, it would be really meaningful for us as a family. I think that's great. Well, I hope that, you know, I don't know, I like to kind of put a stake in the ground and and see if you can make that happen. And you'll have to definitely tell me about it. Not to mention the food would be amazing um, as well as being able to have that like connection to to your culture and your family. That's awesome. And and what about the, so I mentioned, so I, now I have to ask. So, okay, Mandarin. Is it as difficult to learn as everyone says? You know, I originally was too scared to learn Mandarin because I thought it was that level of difficulty. But the reason I was in Tibet that I mentioned was because for the last term of my master's, I was studying in Shanghai on an exchange. Um, the school gave us three free lessons of Mandarin as exchange students. And those three lessons were enough to show me, oh my gosh, this is possible. Uh, it is it is not as hard as it seems, especially for speaking. It has no, uh, there, there's no verb tenses. So it's, it's actually quite easy to learn to speak. It's just memorizing all the characters later to learn how to read and write is a little bit challenging. That's interesting. I guess I didn't realize that there aren't verb tenses, which right there you had me because that's that was the biggest challenge. Um, so I, I can't call myself fluent in French anymore, but at one point I was. And then also in, in Spanish. And that was always the thing that, you know, it's like, oh, well, how do we get all these verbs, you know, correct? And my daughter's taking Spanish right now and she's getting that. Remember when you start learning a language and there's that first exposure to why is it masculine and feminine? We don't have, you know, that here and trying to remember those, those little things as well. So um, I think, I think it's super cool that, that you're doing that. And it's funny. I didn't know that you were there over the pandemic. I wasn't anywhere as exotic, but we were actually in London. We were just talking about that you and I, before we started recording and we got the boot we had to leave like asap i remember standing in london's west end walking up the stairs to a theater we were going to end our our trip with a, a to see wicked we thought the girls would enjoy that and they shut everything down at that moment um so we also had an interesting story coming back we'll have to we'll have to exchange those stories at some point yeah, absolutely. I think everyone remembers the moment when the pandemic hit, where they were, what happened, and uh, yeah, there are a lot of very interesting stories from it. So we'll have to we'll have to talk about these another time. Absolutely. Okay. Well, we'll talk about uh, we'll, we'll dive into the professional piece of this because <laughs> I know people are going to be excited about this topic today. And 
as I had mentioned, you and I met several months ago, and I had the privilege of partnering with you. We did a really unique lunch and learn session with several of your colleagues and other advocacy professionals um, at my, in Microsoft and the security business units. And we tag teamed, and it was so fun doing that with another advocacy professional on challenges and successes. And we talked a lot about the significance of organic advocacy. That's your brainchild, and I love it. And then how important that is with brand and having a strong brand presence and doing all of this before a prospect even like lands on, you know, your website or something like that. So I would love for you to just share a little bit about, you know, your role at Microsoft, the responsibilities, and then kind of your philosophy on customer advocacy. Sure. So I lead worldwide customer advocacy for the full Microsoft security suite, which I, I don't actually know the full number of products that we have nowadays, but it's upwards of 40 products that I'm managing customer advocacy for. So it's, it's quite a lot of different areas. Um, for customer advocacy for us can span everything from working with sites like PeerSpot on peer reviews. It can cover customer case studies, event showcases, videos one-to-one customer reference calls, all of the above. So many different areas of advocacy. It requires me partnering with sales, marketing, engineering to be able to uh, identify the customers that should be advocates as well as to be able to work to really tell their story with them. And then when you ask about my my philosophy, I, there's so many different things I could say there. But I think the biggest thing to me is that people need different proof points of advocacy, different parts of their, of their journey and in deciding what to, what to purchase. And at the same time, also advocates who have been using our products for a long time have want, want to be able to tell their story. So it's really fun for me to work with people at each of those different points to be able to uh, be an advocate and to be able to interact with other advocates. But to me, advocacy, what I've learned is that it's so relationship-based because I used to work with advocates on just creating a single case study and then the relationship would, would end there. When in reality, creating a long-standing relationship with the customer is the most important part of advocacy I've learned because there are so many different uh, ways that we can work together in the future to be able to, to benefit both of us and to be able to tell their story fully. And so as part of that also, it's so important to me when working with advocates that I always remember that when we are telling their story, the advocate, their company is is the hero of the story at all times. Where Microsoft, I always want to remember that Microsoft is just helping them do the great work that they do. But in the end, they are they are always the hero in everything that we that we tell. So those are some pieces of my my philosophy behind advocacy. I I love that. Um, the the story piece of it, the fact that, you know, you identified this is not transactional. And I think that that, you know, sometimes can be can be a challenge depending on what organization you're in, maybe leadership's perspective and things like that on what exactly is advocacy and what does it mean? Because it can mean a lot of different things for different people. Um, and I think that that's especially true when we look at organizations and not only the types of organizations, but the size of organizations as well. And I know you and I have have talked about, you know, we both, you now in, in your role with Microsoft and I've 
been in the very large fortune organizations in the past as well. So curious because for those who are in big organizations that are listening, what have you found most helpful in your role, you know, in a large enterprise? And then for those that are not, I'm often asked, you know, well, how, how do they do it in the, you know, the mega enterprises navigating multiple like business units and product lines? So give us a little, um, a little advice on that. What have you found most helpful? Yeah, absolutely. So prior to this role, I had never been in an organization of this size. I think there are only, there are only so many organizations of this size on the planet. And uh, in the last three years, it's been, it's been a lot for me to learn and to adjust to. But I think two of the biggest things that I've learned are, one, the most important thing is to really, truly create priorities. And I think that's important in, in any role that you have. But for example, when I'm managing the advocacy of over 40 products, that means that there are a, there are product marketing managers for each of those different products. There are engineering teams for each of those different products who each want their product to be the priority, of course. And so it can get really, really hard for me quickly to figure out where can I actually focus my efforts because I don't have unlimited time in the day and unlimited budget. So I've, I've learned to look at what our sales teams selling this year and focused on selling this year. I've learned to look at how are we really communicating the value of our brand and how do we tell that story? Where is the industry focusing most right now? So I'm trying to get together the pieces of where where are we really going to uh, need advocates this year and where are customers going to be most looking to talk to other advocates. And so that's been really, really important. And I think the other piece is in an organization of our size as well, we can, you can end up very quickly working in just your silo because, for example, Microsoft Security is already multiple hundreds of people. So I would say I spend most of my time just working within Microsoft Security, but it, I have to always remember that a customer of ours is likely working with all the other areas of Microsoft's business as well. Many of our customers are customers for a lot of other areas. So it's really important for me to form relationships with the people who are leading advocacy in other areas of the organization too, whether it's Microsoft Azure, Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Surface, and what have you, all those different areas, because in the end, we want to provide a unified experience for the customer. And in reality, we also each, uh, we may have each learned different things in how we, we've taken our approach to advocacy and we can each teach one another things as well. So uh, that's, those are two things that I've learned that have been really important in such a large enterprise. And how do you, and I hear you, and it, it's bringing back a lot of memories for me. I think at one point I had counted and there were on average about a hundred different people in any given week that I could work with being in such a large organization. I, I love that you talked about, you know, two things that I don't care where you are, where you sit or who you work for, prioritization, understanding goals, and then relationships, right? How... What have you found, digging a little deeper, what did, have you found valuable when it comes to that kind of prioritization? And I would assume maybe you run up against, I know I did, everyone thinks that they're a priority. How do you kind of handle the, the pushback when you need to, to do that? Yeah, honestly, it's the most challenging part because no matter what, you're going to be letting someone down and making someone unhappy because there's only, there's only so much that you can do. So 
that's why I try to base it in in things like I said of of like figuring out what what are what are the three things, for example, that our sales team is focusing on number one to sell this year, or what are the areas where we're most expecting to uh, see growth in our business, or what are those key topics in the industry right now? And by being able to give clear give clear answers on why these are our focuses and put true business impact behind it, I find that that's the big, that's the easiest way to be able to deal with some of that pushback and be able to to base it in. Well, this is what's this is what's best for our organization, and this is what our customers are caring about most. Because in the end, it comes back to what when you're doing advocacy, what what are the customers going to be looking for? We want to be creating creating um, advocacy materials that our customers are truly going to be using. And so, so those are the biggest things that I that I use when when dealing with that pushback. I like that. And, and I would add to that, you had mentioned, um, you know, the customer experience. And I think that that's a big piece of it because customers don't understand business units. And honestly, it's not their job to understand business units and how an organization is put together. You know, I ran into that as well, where we had three very distinct businesses and sometimes customers would would overlap and they might even have different account managers and things like that for different solutions, but it's not up to them to understand how all of that works. That's that's on us, right? As as an organization, as advocacy professionals to unify that experience and make sure that um, you know, in our case, you know, it was Optum, it's the Optum experience. It's not this point solution kind of thing. And I think you're very smart to to point back to the customer, right? I think that's where we stay very true to being very customer centric and pointing out even to our internal stakeholders that, but what would the customer perceive this as? And what do we want that experience to be? Exactly. What you're saying is, um, I completely agree with all of it. And I think then for us, it's even, it kind of gets one step more challenging of not just what is your Microsoft security experience, but also what is your Microsoft experience as a whole in a a company that's I think it's around two hundred thousand employees. Um, how do we tie the different things that each of us are working on together so that you have one experience with Microsoft? And it 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 gets it, that's where it honestly gets really interesting. It gets very complex, but very interesting and really makes you put yourself in the customer's shoes. It, it totally does. And you and we're not going to today, but, but but we could even branch off into a conversation of Microsoft is one example, but there are others that play in the B2B and the B2C space as well. And that introduces another layer of, of complexity. But I, I want to pivot. And it's kind of on that line, though, and, and talk about brand a little bit. And this is this is a hot topic. Um, I'm very fortunate, as you know, because you and I have connected this way, but I get to talk to a lot of our custom, PeerSpot customers and hear about um, what are what are some of the challenges, what are the things that they're tasked with. And it's interesting because as an advocacy professional, we don't always think about brand as falling into our responsibility list. But I typically then talk to all marketers, and you don't even have to be a marketer, the entire organization, we're all in charge of brand. Um, How that is, you know, brought forth, how people interact with our brand, how they perceive the brand. 
And Microsoft is obviously a huge brand. Um, it's a very well-trusted brand in the marketplace. So why do you think, why is this so important, this whole concept of brand awareness? Yeah. So like you said, brand, the brand means, means trust. That's, that's when you, when you know a brand and you're familiar with them and you like them, it puts trust behind it. And probably my favorite part of being in this role in advocacy is that I truly get to talk to customers one-on-one almost every day and get to hear how, how they feel about working with us and how they feel about our brand. So like you said, Microsoft is a really well-known brand. Um, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anyone in the world who hasn't heard of the brand, but Microsoft security has only been around for a few years on its own. I joined the team about three years ago, like I said, and Microsoft security was a very young brand at the time. So if, if you're the average person in the world who may not be in the cybersecurity space, you may not even know that Microsoft exists in the cybersecurity space. And we often call it the biggest startup for that reason. It's, it, I can't even tell you the amount of massive growth that I've seen in just the three years that I've been here in the number of people working in the organization, the investment, the evolution of the products. We're releasing new products all the time. And all those need to gain awareness. They need to gain market share. And we're also not in an industry where we only have two or three competitors. There are hundreds of competitors in this industry and there's really stiff competition. We each have a fraction of the market share. So we're competing on 40 plus products and the brand is so important because we, we've been lucky as a, as a company that's come up in this, in, in this area that we have the Microsoft brand behind us to give us that level of, of trust. But also at the same time, we need to be consistently creating awareness and positive perception towards each of the individual products that, uh, that we've evolved in this time that we've grown as Microsoft security to be able to gain market share, to be able to get into new, get into new markets, new regions. And so, so the brand is just such an important piece that we're thinking of every day. And we're thinking of also how, how our customers it interact with Microsoft as a whole because how they interact with Microsoft as a whole, even outside of our products, affects how they feel about our products and vice versa. So uh, it's something that comes into our conversations constantly. I, I love that. And I love you referring to it as the the biggest startup, um, especially for people that are listening that are, are in that world. Um, there is this kind of, you know, it's amazing to be able to lean on the the very strong reputation, right, of of Microsoft. But then at the same time, you're also carving your own your own path. Um, and when we think about path, and I just I'll ask everybody who's who's listening, like hold hold on to this thought around brand, hold it there for a minute, and then I want to introduce this concept that of organic advocacy. And again, this is something you mentioned when we were working together on our lunch and learn, and it was such a light bulb moment for me. So let's start with how define it, Natalie. So, so what did you mean by it when you mentioned it? And then we'll talk a little bit about it. There is. So I think I just mentioned this term one day and, um, I'm, I, I know I glommed onto it and I stole it and <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so what I mean by organic advocacy is basically when, when you're doing a lot of different forms of advocacy, Everyone knows that they are influenced by the company that is 
that is working with a customer on on creating those advocacy materials. So for example, case studies or event showcases. Obviously, we work with our customer and together we work on telling that story. And we want it to uh, to showcase them, but also to be able to showcase you know, our narrative and our goals as well. And everyone knows that when you get on a customer to customer reference call, when you're trying to decide which which product to purchase, you're well aware that the customer that you are speaking to has been recommended to get on that reference call with you as as a happy customer. So we we all know that these different pieces are 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 also influenced by by the company who is who it, who is managing that advocacy, which creates a huge need for advocacy that is completely uninfluenced and that can be provided literally at any time and also by anyone who's using the product because in reality a lot of the other forms of advocacy that we do like i mentioned case studies uh videos event showcases reference calls they're typically with the business decision maker but i know for example when i was early in my career and i was using different products every single day the person the people who are using those products every single day are not necessarily the business decision makers and can truly explain what it's really like using them. And that should be an important factor of the decision-making process too. So all these things come together into what what I would say is organic advocacy. What I've been calling it is that that ability to really hear from real users in at any time, anyone using the product and be completely and totally uninfluenced by by the brand if they're are for and this is what we really see on on peer review sites like PeerSpot is if if we get positive reviews on there we'll share it around with our team and we we love seeing them if we get negative reviews on there we also share them around with our team and and talk about what to do with it and there's there's but there's nothing that we can do to influence that review and that and we had when we worked together and I I might be getting ahead a little bit on now as we start to talk about you know, everyone, I think, is starting to see the correlation and, and tying these things together. And we'll talk about reviews specifically in a second. But I think we're we all kind of go through this and experience it um, with the, the, the buying process and the customer experience and the customer journey. Those are big buzzwords right now. But it's very, very true that there is a, a piece of, of course, we want everyone to get to those resources, right, Natalie, that you're talking about, those case studies and things like that, because we work really hard, darn it, on putting those things together. And we want people to get to get there. But that's the key piece of it. We have to get them there, right? Um, and that's all the stuff that happens in advance. So I'll, I'll let you take the lead on this, and I'll, I'll just sort of interject. So how do you start tying this together? And then if you want to, uh, because not shocking, obviously, you know, you and I work together about kind of reviews as a piece of this puzzle. You can talk about that and why they're so important to to this connection. Yeah. So in reality, when customers are going through a sales journey, there are so many different sorts of proof points that that they look for. Like you mentioned, we we need different pieces to be able to get them to other pieces. And also they're looking for those. So I used to be in a procurement role in earlier in my career, and I would run RFIs, RFPs, the selection process for for services, for vendors all day, every day. And 
I always think back to what proof points was I looking for at different parts in my, in my process. So maybe in the beginning, I was looking at review sites to be able to see who should I include in my RFI? Because who's even in this, who's in this industry? Who's in this space? How do people feel about them versus one another? Later on, I might ask for my top three contenders to share case studies. And later on, I may look at a review site to see who I should actually, who I should actually choose to be able to see how are real, how are all these real users feeling about about the what I'm considering purchasing? Or I may also ask to talk to a customer one on one on the phone to be able to hear from their voice how they're feeling. So you know you need different pieces at different points. And also at the same time, I when you're looking from the point of view of an of an advocacy strategist, you realize that different customers are willing to devote different levels of time, effort, are comfortable different levels of publicity in doing advocacy. So you want to also provide them with what works for them to be able to be to be an advocate. So reviews are really important in this whole piece. As I mentioned, is they they fit with very important points in the sales funnel. But also, they're really a, a great view into how customers truly feel, like en masse. You can have hundreds upon thousands of, of reviews. So you really get a big quantitative view of, of how many, of how people feel. I think in reality, when you're trying to, de- when you're trying to decide what to purchase and in that selection process and who to even look at, it's really, really hard if you don't have, if, if you, haven't worked with these different suppliers before. So you people trust a lot what they hear from people in their network. So they may have heard from others in their network about certain about certain vendors or they may have heard from certain ones at conferences. But without that experience with them themselves, they don't really know what to what to go with. So being able to look at review sites and be able to see with all these different reviews, how do how do people feel on average? What are they saying about working with 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 this company? How how are they rating versus how people feel about their competitors? All of that I think is just so such an important point of reference in making that decision process and really lends a lot to that process that that people don't otherwise have. Yes, all of that. And I think that that's where we start to make the correlation and you can make a really I think you could put metrics behind it too that correlation behind brand and awareness and then the experience and you're you're absolutely correct there's so many things that you said that I was I was actually jotting down notes and earlier you had mentioned you know different people have different amounts of time right to to dedicate to this kind of decision making process and like you said um a lot of times we go after decision makers but they probably have the least amount of time to dedicate because it's the users that of the actual products or services that are have to actually use it. Um, I find them incredibly important. And in fact, I've always, whether it's through advocacy programs or advocacy efforts, I want breadth and depth in my representation because I like to have those different perspectives. Um, whether it's you know somebody who has more of a strategic lens, somebody who has a more tactical lens, but then also kind of going to, as you were describing this, Natalie, I'm thinking about the, the funnel. And I have a love-hate relationship. Let's put that out there with the, the, the marketing funnel. I'm using air quotes, which nobody can see me do right now. But um, And we typically think of the funnel as like 
leads, right? MQLs and then, you know, SQLs. And how do we work them through that funnel in a very typical marketing viewpoint? But honestly, I, I don't know how you feel, but I think that there's a content funnel too. There's a content funnel and the buyer's journey funnel and everything you were saying, right? You you kind of do go from, I have a list, then I have a medium list, I have a short list, and then I make a decision. And that follows that same kind of trajectory. And the reviews are, interestingly enough, now, and there's there's data points that show this, they are critical at the top of the funnel. And then they're also the final piece of that funnel. And then all the things you were talking about, right, that we work hard on also, the case studies and videos, they're in the middle that are very responsible for helping move it to the bottom of the funnel. Um, not sure if I'm making sense because in my mind it makes sense. I'm in, I'm visualizing it, but you know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think there's room in marketing for a content funnel? Yeah, you're making complete sense to me. I have literally drawn out this a picture of this funnel and uh, and shared it around in, in our internal presentations around how I think about our advocacy. And to show how customers are looking for each of these different sorts of proof points at different parts of their journey and how different ones help them at different points in their journey. So it's important for us to focus on each of these different areas. And and you, exactly what you're saying is exactly how, how I've drawn it out. So completely in line with okay. you there. Okay. So it's not, it's not like completely like unique and innovative, but I'm not crazy. We can, you and I will have to like, you know, we'll trademark it. We'll, you know make a million dollars and then we can go travel the world and we won't have to worry about uh, our day job. But but until that happens, back to brand. Yeah. So so why is it so important then to have the the brand at the center of the conversation? Um, You know, especially for those conversations like that you aren't even part of as the organization. Yeah. So like you said, I always bring myself back to when I was in that procurement role. All RFPs. Exactly. So many RFPs and trying to decide who do I include in it and who then do we choose to purchase and how how hard it was to make those decisions with a limited amount of information. So I I bring myself back to thinking, hey, we can't expect that we're necessarily in every potential customer's uh you know, selection, like choice set at the beginning. And and even further, we can't expect that every person is just going to our beautiful website that we've worked really hard on um, because in reality, they may not even know, even know to go there. So many people are doing what I used to do, which is literally going in a search engine, typing best insert product category, seeing what comes up, clicking on links and so, for example, may see PeerSpot being one of those on the first page and clicking into that and and then seeing our brand among the among the companies on that list. And so it's really important then that, A, they've heard of our brand before. So, yes, we are lucky that we have the Microsoft piece. So they've at least heard of that piece. Um, and it's really important for us to then grow the brand of each one of our products so that they even more so recognize that and we're already potentially in their selection criteria. But also that we that we're creating such a good advocacy experience for for our customers that when someone gets to a page like that 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 we are already you know highly ranked compared to our competitors that people are saying great things about us 
and and all the things like that because in reality those are conversations that we're not a part of but we want to make sure that that we're reflecting positively when people are are having those conversations within their company absolutely and and let's it, just to clarify and that's really i think where the organic piece right that's where that tag got attached to advocacy is like literally organic search um you know so hats off you know to those marketers who work hard on seo and and things like that but that is now what we're we're seeing with content that like reviews are those are floated up to the top because of the the content that's available there and and it's interesting because you were touching on right like when you're not when you're not there to be a part of the conversation but you want to be a part of it and one of the things when when I worked for United Health Group, um, we had our core values and one of them was integrity. And I think it's incredibly important, but I really, what I liked about it is the fact that um, we had defined it as, you know, what people say when you're not in the room. And I think that's exactly what this is to just sort of personify it a little bit, right? We, as people, we all want to be thought of as having integrity and the same is true for our products and services so that when a conversation comes up and hopefully it's a positive conversation you're a part of it and you don't have to actually be there and I think that's the intersection then of all the work that goes into advocacy and then having a really strong brand and I just love when they come together and I think for the first time in a long time in marketing and it's great for advocacy professionals we're a huge piece of that, of making that intersection happen. So, um, you know, I, I, of course, am, you know, a bit subjective, but I really do think that that's happening. And I think everything you're saying and we're talking about here, these are the proof points of how that's happening. Exactly. And we also, we also, because we're talking to customers so often or hearing from customers so often, I think we also get a lot of great information around how how customers feel about our brand and are able to then funnel that back to the internal teams to be able to to be able to work on areas of opportunity as well. And so we're a really important part of those conversations, like you said. Absolutely. And and we could like we already identified there's several, you know, forks in the road here that we could go off on and keep this conversation going. But I, you know. I want to respect your time, but I won't let you off the hook without answering the final question that I always ask of, of all of the guests. What is the best piece of advice that you have to offer um, marketers or advocacy professionals, you know, right now? What what would you say? It doesn't even have to do with, with brand if you don't want it to or advocacy, but go for it. Sure. So I think it will mentioned a lot of things we've already talked about, but maybe pull it together a little bit more. Uh, the biggest piece of advice that I have is I've learned when being in an organization that is very focused on products, like most technology companies are, most engineering companies are, um, probably a lot of other types of industries as well. You, Because you focus so much on building those specific products, a lot of the times people think about telling your story from the perspective of those products of, you know, this product, is, this product is great. It has these great features that were really hard to build and a real challenge. And, um, like, look at, look at what we've been able to build. But in reality, like you were saying before is that's not how customers think about working with, working with someone or purchasing something or using it. 
So the biggest thing that I've learned is to really shift away from that focus on products and to think about everything from the point of view of, of how is the customer looking at it? What kinds of use cases are they trying to solve? What kind of experience can we create for them in their busy day uh, to be an advocate? How, yeah, how are they thinking about, about our brand? Just to look at everything from the customer's point of view and start there. So I used to work for a stockbroker and I often put myself back in those shoes to think about how would I have thought about if I were to consider one of our products? How would, how would I think about it? What kinds of questions would I have? What, how, would I be, how would I be considering it in everything that I do on a daily basis? What would an advocacy experience for me look like that I would be comfortable with? That's really important for me, I think, for both advocacy, marketing in general, is to take that step back and always start with the customer. Customer. I, I love that. And you did. You did a great job of, of bringing that home and making it succinct. And the, the only thing that I will add on to that, going all the way back to the top of our conversation, because I know with multiple products, you know, you work with either product, product managers, um, product development folks, or product marketing managers. And it's a really important stakeholder, right, for us as as marketers and advocacy professionals. And sometimes it's, you know, I talk to customers where they have some challenges and struggles sometimes, but I actually think it's a really huge opportunity because you have two very different people with different perspectives um, and personalities, quite frankly, usually. Um, and being able to work together and translate right the amazing features and functionality of a product and then have put our hat on thinking about the customer experience and that's why i love that relationship and why i think that the output of that is is amazing when it's done well and you have some really incredible customer stories and when it's done well they're incredibly impactful stories so I don't know. I just see it as an opportunity and I think it's, and I think it's fabulous. And I think everything you said is, is spot on as far as, you know, we focus on um, the products because that, that is, that's what we're selling. And then it's our job to, to translate. We're also translators. <laughs> All in a day's work. Yeah. All in a day. And now it's a, and I tied that back to like Mandarin and languages and translation somehow that was completely not intentional, but, but there you go. <laughs> I like it. This is this has been so fun, Natalie. Uh, I love these conversations. I especially love talking to you because I think that your perspective is so refreshing, and everything that you talk about is so thoughtful and you know so intelligent when you speak to this like art form, really, of customer advocacy. So thank you so much for joining me for being a part of the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Allison. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been so much fun talking with you about all of this and um, really appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Until the next time, we will talk to you then. Take care. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget to follow me, Allison Bukowski, on LinkedIn, where you'll find information about upcoming episodes, Q&A sessions, and live panel discussions with our guests. Customer X-Files is brought to you by PeerSpot, the authority on enterprise technology. The PeerSpot buy-in intelligence platform is where tech professionals go to get the most reliable information on enterprise tech so they can be sure that what they buy is exactly what they need. 
powered by a community of over 650,000 enterprise tech professionals who share expertise, PeerSpot provides in-depth reviews, buyer's guides, online forums, and more, giving professionals the confidence to make the right buying decision. For more info, check out marketing.peerspot.com. And to keep getting this show in your podcast feed, every time a new episode drops, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.